0: Before we jump into this episode, quick reminder that everything said on bell curve is a meme and nothing said on bell curve is financial advice. Enjoy the app.
1: That Ethereum's first, you know, their, their focus has been, okay, well, in order to have any value prop at all, as a decentralized application, you know, you need to have all the guarantees of security, censorship, resistance, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Cosmos started at the place for okay, if you want to scale this to a billion users, you need to have products that people actually
0: want to use. All right, guys, welcome to season three of Bell Curve. Uh, very excited. We're gonna be talking about the app chain thesis in season three. Uh, many of you who are joining us via video know that I have a uh, different co-host, much better looking than my previous co-host, uh, Yano. Uh, This is my friend, Miles O'Neill. Miles, oh. uh, excited to be doing this season with you.
1: Great to be here, Mike. Uh, Long time coming and a huge fan of the uh, previous seasons you guys have done. So uh,
0: really happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Miles is, the reason I asked Miles to do this is first, he works at, I'm going to Ask you to introduce yourself in a second, Miles. But you know, you currently work at, at Reverie and are very hands on with the Cosmos ecosystem and very knowledgeable about the subject matter. But also, uh, for folks in the audience, Miles and I are buds from from college, actually. So this is uh, this is very fortuitous that this <sighs> worked out.
1: Yeah, uh, it's amazing. We've come we've come a long way, buddy. Uh, yeah, and and uh, <laughs> proud of proud of everything you've built at Blockworks, and really really have enjoyed you know seeing you guys grow. So
0: happy to Thanks, be Parker. here. Maybe uh, maybe we can use, as a little Easter egg if folks stick around for the whole season we can uh, we can tell some embarrassing stories about each of us uh, throughout college. <laughs> there are oh, one I'm, or two of those. No shortage, no shortage of those. <laughs> um, all right, buddy. Uh, I'm also uh, I'm honored to be doing this with you as well. Seriously, I don't want to you know pump your tires too hard, but very very knowledgeable uh, folks about. Uh, the Cosmos ecosystem and and app chains, and you were kind of the one who actually first put this on my radar. Uh, so before we get into it, can you give a little like background for folks uh, about what you're doing at, at Reverie?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at Reverie, we we are you know DAO service providers, um, and we do you know a lot of different things depending on the stage of the project. Uh, one of the core activities we do is run grants programs, um, which is really just a catch-all strategic investment budget for daos um and so i spend the majority of my time focused on uh osmosis grants program and you know with osmosis we are doing a combination of you know attracting new applications to launch on osmosis um, that are complementary to the amm Uh, we're you know funding infrastructure providers different sort of service providers to come on board and uh really just trying to fund things that move the needle for osmosis um so you know it's a very privileged seat i get to get to meet a lot of folks across the ecosystem uh that are building a cosmos um and i get to you know we get to talk with the team quite a bit and you know from that i've i've you know my conviction in this app chain thesis has has only grown since we started working on this in, Say April, um, you know you can. I can just see mm-hmm. firsthand that you can build things that are not possible on monolithic chains. Um, and and you know, I really enjoyed getting to getting to be a part of some of those initiatives.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And guys, if you've listened to previous uh, seasons and, and episodes of Belcorp, we've had Larry and Derek, who are the founders of Reverie, on the show. So big fans of what what you guys are all doing, Miles. Maybe that's a that's a pretty good lead in. Why don't we talk a little bit about? Why now, right? We're going to get into the meat of what the app chain thesis is, and sort of our own unique flavor and what we're interested in exploring about it. But what's like? Why are we doing this season today? Like, what's sort of driving the the topical interest?
1: Yeah, I think I think we are seeing a lot more. Uh, you know, starting with DIDX, um, I think this really started leading this narrative. Uh, we're seeing applications want to vertically integrate in order to provide a better product. Um, and you know, this for DYDX is the fact that they could not fully decentralize on an Ethereum L two. Um and an order book is very specific, right? This is something that the best version of an order book DEX is one that's built into the chain, right? Um and you know, this I think is this narrative has taken off as folks are beginning to see, you know, talk about L threes on top of L2s, right? You know, what owning your own block space what you can do with that i think is it's a really really strong narrative um and we're starting to see some of the the top applications kind of explore this route route um and you know i think we'll talk about this later but it does seem to me a little bit that ethereum and cosmos are on a bit of a collision course um you know to this app specific
0: environments i i in complete agreement, uh, and we'll get into more detail obviously even in in this episode, but I think one of the ideas that you know what I think you have frankly helped me see and understand a little bit more is there's a a vein of a, sort of a narrative in crypto that isn't being fully explored, which is sort of this idea of product maximalism right we have a We've had a lot of maximalism in crypto in general there's, that tends to focus around specific ecosystems or communities or assets, but I think it's it's very appealing to me to look at the idea of like look. We've had a lot of stuff happen this past year. Ultimately, if we want to achieve adoption and scale, there is an infrastructure component to that, which frankly I think the ETH side of the equation is really, really focused on. But then it almost sounds obvious to state like we need to build products that people are ultimately gonna to want to use, right? And although the app chain thesis isn't necessarily native to Cosmos, you know, in talking to a lot of the folks in the community, and you know, we're gonna have several of them on throughout the course of the season, I think they really approach things. From that viewpoint of really wanting to focus on the layer above the sort of consensus data availability layer and like really building apps and products that people want to use
1: yeah i I think that's 100 correct i think it, it it's instead of starting with the infrastructure layer it is starting with the application layer that is the focus and the infrastructure will you know the application will determine what the infrastructure looks like um i think ethereum you know started with the infrastructure and is now focusing on the app layer um and the apps, you know, as they gain leverage and users, they're going to want to own their own block space. Um, and, and on Cosmos side, I think they started with the applications first. Um, and and the rest of the stack is kind of determined by what can make the best version of this application. Um, you know, you and I are very product maxis, right? We are, we are mm. you know, very product centric mindset here. So that's really what I'm focused on. A, believe the users will follow the best products. Um, and you know, the, if you can build the best product by owning the full stack or at least more of the stack than you can on a monolithic chain, then, you know, you're likely to, to win out at the end of the day in terms of value accrual. Um,
0: hundred percent. So I think just to lay out sort of the the broad sort of contours of what we're going to be talking about this season, uh, I want to give, you know, make sure we get into it without giving everything away, but giving listeners like an understanding of some of the big concepts and episodes that we're, that we're going to cover. And frankly, I think you, you and I are going into the season kind of with an idea of what we want to talk about or a slant on how we think things might turn out. But I would love it, frankly, if we ended up learning a lot this season and even change some of our some of our viewpoints, right?
1: Oh, oh, hundred um, percent. And I still have many open questions myself. Um, you know, I think I think we're talking, we're going to talk a lot about the benefits of owning your own uh, environment um, and and owning your own stack potentially. But I think there's a lot of different flavors of app chains that will that we'll, you know, we will explore. And I think you know, really understanding the trade offs uh, across those different flavors will be something that I'm still trying to understand. And you know, I
0: think that's what I'm
1: interested to get out of the
0: season. Yeah, I agree. All right, let me let me give uh, listeners sort of a. We, there are going to be seven seven episodes this season. I'm going to give you sort of the the TLDR highlight right of of what these episodes are, and then Miles, maybe I can pick on you a little bit to get in the detail of why we ordered it like this. So, kicking off the season, we're going to be talking about the case for sovereign blockchains, right? And this we've got we've got Dmitri from 1KX and Sunny Agrawal, and we're going to be talking about this is sort of the you know kicking off the season talking about what are app chains? What is what are the broad sort of contours and ideas about the app chain thesis? And what is this concept of sovereign blockchains? You've heard about it this a lot from sort of the Cosmos ecosystem, but fleshing out what does it mean to be a sovereign blockchain? And then what are some of the you were just sort of alluding to this? What are some of the trades trade offs and spectrum of being a fully sovereign blockchain versus like being a, a smart contract on ETH? And like where is the you know where's the space in between, right? And how are apps going to basically approach approach that? Um, next we're going to go into sort of this idea of fat apps and aggregation theory in crypto, which is, it's almost flipping on its head, the very popular, uh, idea, which was sort of pioneered by Joel Monegro. And I think still largely accepted by crypto writ large, which is fat protocols, right? Mm Value is going to accrue to the protocol layer at the base. Whereas I think a lot of people in, in the cosmos ecosystem believe it's going to be the opposite of that in mirror dynamics that we've seen in web two, where value is going to accrue to the top layer because they have the closest relationship to the consumer. After that, you know, we're going to go on to, we're this is a working title, but call it competing security models for app chains, right? This was is this alluding to this idea that you were mentioning that there's sort of two approaches here, which is the apps and products that users are going to interact with. But then there are layers of different, uh, you know, there's like a consensus and data availability layer. Um, and stuff kind of underneath. And there are different models. Like there's sort of an Ethereum approach, a Celestia approach. Um, there's some interesting things going on uh, with uh, with uh, Eigenlayer and there's, there's kind of like a Cosmos uh, sort of approach. Um, so we're going to be exploring what are some of the different architectures that go underneath uh, and support applications. Next, we're going to be talking about MEV and how that's a, not only a driver of the business model for DeFi and blockchains, but how that uh, actually pushes uh, you know how that might be uh, headwinds or sorry tailwinds for for the app chain thesis we 're going to be talking to a couple of app chain pioneers uh hopefully you know some of the leaders at dydx and um, actually compound uh when they they almost made the the decision to migrate uh we 're going to be talking about where ethereum and cosmos intersect so really diving deep into the what you were talking about kind of eth and cosmos converging on the same viewpoint from different starting angles and then we 're just going to be uh, talking about a roadmap uh, going forward for like when is this likely to happen and what's the market structure going to look like in timelines so that was a pretty broad thesis and i just heard myself talk for a long time like <laughs> why did we decide to start with this kind of what you know what what does it mean to be a sovereign blockchain and kind of starting from the, the cosmos side of things
1: yeah i think i think it's all about what can you do as a sovereign blockchain that you cannot do when you know built as a smart contract application on a, a general purpose chain um, and I think that's that's a great starting point because that's really that what gets people interested in this. And this was what gets applications developer application developers excited about the app chain thesis. Um, and I think you know it hits on all parts of all parts of the application, from performance to you know ux, through the customizability that you have, um, value capture. Which can then reinforce, you know, better UX through better, you know, uh, business models. So you have more, you know, at, to at your disposal to invest in further growth. Um, and I think from there, you know, you can understand, okay, here, here, are the, the range of benefits I get. Um, now, what is the trade off space between, you know, a roll up? that's app specific versus, you know, a full stack app chain and how much of those benefits, you know, do you get across these different flavors of app chains?
0: Mm. And it seems, it seems, you know, to be more and more topical as well, because we're sort of, there are a bunch of apps that are launching on not Ethereum main chain. We've got layer twos, right. That are making block space, you know, that inherit the security benefits of ETH more cheap, right. And therefore accessible, but you know, now that we've solved sort of the cost, right, and throughput or are starting to solve that from the ETH ecosystem, we're sort of running up into the logical limits of the execution layer, right? So it seems this is that's also to me like that's pretty timely, right? And I think you have some pretty nuanced thinking, and we're going to be exploring this this season. Like, look, we're going to be kind of extolling the benefits or exploring deeply the benefits of owning the full stack for, for your chain. But it's ultimately not going to make sense for a lot of chains, at least to start off with right so I think we're going to be trying to put ourselves in the shoes of builders and explore where does it really make sense when does it make sense
1: 100 percent, because there are you know very considerable trade-offs right and and I think it the every application developer needs to make this decision in thinking about you know within the context of their own application how much do these trade-offs matter uh and how much the benefits you know what what is the magnitude of the benefits versus you know the potential trade-offs um I think you know we will we will see you know a, a lot of larger it kind of depends on how much leverage you have with users if and and what stage of maturity you're, you're on to you know potentially fully vertically integrate versus you know maybe vertically integrate just a part of the stack um and so yeah i think i think that will be it will be interesting and and to to talk to some of these builders you know about how they made these decisions um and talk to builders that are you know potentially exploring this now um i think we see starting to hear you know more and more interest uh especially from the ethereum community um of really you know being able to own your own block space curate what is in it um and we'll see just how this plays out you know we're talking about l3s these days on top of roll-ups um that's that's another really interesting angle to explore so you know absolutely you know we're Going to put ourselves in the shoes of a builder and, and try to, you know, imagine these trade-offs from their, from their uh perspective.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the idea of sort of fat, fat apps, right? This is this is actually, we've got Sonny sort of kicking the season off, but I've heard him uh talk about this sort of at length, which is, you know, this was the Joel Monegro from Placeholder sort of thesis that. You know, ultimately if you look at the returns of layer ones like Ethereum or Bitcoin that far outpaced what you would consider sort of the app layer. He was actually comparing it, I believe, in his original piece to Coinbase and the returns on on equity for Coinbase and Bitcoin outstrip that. So I think we'd like to sort of gently challenge that, uh, you know, throughout this season and sort of explore the trade-offs of like, obviously, this is all going to play out in, in real time, but where value does accrue? Because it's certainly the opposite dynamic in, in Web2. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and, and really,
1: you know, I think Sonny calls it either fat apps or, or tall apps. Um, I like, mm. I like tall apps and yep. just thinking about the stack. Right. Um, and I think the perspective, you know, that I've, I've heard him speak about before, which I think really resonated with me, um, is that when you think about, you know, the early development of the internet, um, the, the consensus bets early on were really around the infrastructure layers like AOL. Um, when in reality, you know, value accrued to the application layers because they owned the users. Um, and then it ended up actually being Google and Amazon that then built the infrastructure, right. And starting at the application layer, you know, and getting as close as possible to the users, you know, will allow you to have, you know, maximum flexibility later to build out, you know, other parts of the stack, um, and, and your users will come with you, right? Applications are far more sticky than blockchains. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're trying to take a long-term perspective here um, and imagining, you know, tons of users using decentralized
0: on-chain applications and, and really what the stack might look like for them. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the reason I think it's important to get this episode at the top of the season is it's sort of a fundamental reorienting right, of your perspective. I think many people implicitly kind of actually agree with the FAT protocol thesis in this space, because frankly, the L1s are what have performed really well as an investment. They have the largest communities around it. And I think you and I want to challenge that and turn it on its head and say, actually, from a logical perspective, right, historically, the closer to the customer you are, the more leverage you have sort of down the chain. And you were talking about, you know, tech and web too, but this exists, you know, this exists in the automotive supply chain, right? This exists in finance. Uh, the, the, this is a dynamic that has been replicated across multiple different industries. And and I think that sets us up for like the next episode, which is where we're going to have representatives from, you know, sort of these different, let's call it like architectural sorts of models, like underneath, like infrastructure providers. And once you look at it from the perspective of, okay, maybe leverage is going to exist on the app chain and everything underneath is going to be commoditized, it's just a fundamental reorganizing for, okay, let's, let's take that perspective and then say, what are the different architectures for how we're going to achieve, you know, all the consensus data availability, all the things that need to happen underneath the apps. Right. Right. I mean, I think the value of L1s is really driven by the
1: quality of, of applications built on top, um, and, mm-hmm. and really, you know, speculating about the, the future applications that will be built on top. Um, you know, I think as those applications actually get larger and gain more traction and potentially mainstream adoption, you know, they will, they will then have the leverage to be able to take the users where they want, um, in order to make the best possible product. And, you know, whether that is on their own app specific rollup or full stack app chain, or, you know, maybe it's an evolution, right. As they mature and as they grow, um, and, you know, if the market continues to grow, there will be incentives to vertically integrate just as we see, you know, with any traditional company.
0: Mm. now it's probably like good to explore right uh so what, what are the things that could disprove what we're talking about here thus far right there are, there are definitely some disadvantages to app chains so tonight that app chain sort of viewpoint i know you're familiar you want to walk through some of them that we have kind of going into the season for why we might be wrong you know again it it, it i think just to
1: list off a few right i think you it is a greater cost, right? You have to provide your own security. You have to bootstrap your own validator set. This is for the full stack, you know, Cosmos sovereign app chain. Um, and and that may not make sense, right? From from day one, when you're trying to iterate quickly and find PMF, um, you know, it's just the general cost and, and time to develop is right now one of the challenges. Um, another one is really, you know, around, I would say, having the entire stack controlled by governance I think is is another underappreciated trade-off here um I don't think it's really you know we're, we're very close to it at Reverie um and it's not impossible it hasn't necessarily we haven't seen it slow down applications you know app chains quite yet but but it, there are a lot of stakeholders right across when you have when you own every single layer of the stack um and frankly it can be challenging um and you know i think the other big one is probably even more important is around the interoperability piece um, and to me this is a big question because i think composability has been you know one of the main value props of of defi especially early on um, but when we think about traditional finance i mean these these applications fintechs don't run on a single computer right they all they all depend on async composability so i think exploring really what is the best version of composability that you could have while still in your own you know app chain or app specific rollup um and just how you know strong are those trade offs against you know actually having everything live in the same place like like a solana or like an ethereum layer 1
0: right composability it's it's an interesting concept cuz it even goes beyond the app chain thesis. But if you look at sort of both of the, the more mainstream sort of consensus approaches to how we're going to scale, people are basically on board with the modular thesis, right? But layer twos, you know, they sort of break or make, make composability much more difficult, or at least atomic composability. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and I think that
1: we also need to think about, all right, for this app chain thesis to play out, what sort of infrastructure needs to be built, right? Uh, and, and right now, I think uh, that's where Cosmos is, is way ahead of ethereum um because they really started from this place of thinking about every single well if every chain is going to be their own application the most important thing we can build is one you know interoperability standard that is shared between all the chains and that is is as secure as possible right so that is ibc um so if we're going to see something similar play out on the Ethereum side, what does that look like? What is, is it IBC itself that's being ported over and then, you know, all these chains can talk to each other or is it, you know, more local specialized, um, you know, interoperability solutions. Uh, so I think, I think that's, that's another part of the season is saying, okay, we understand all the benefits, what needs to be built in order to actually get the best version of this.
0: Yeah. I'd be curious, you know, we're going to be talking to a lot of the folks from sort of the the core cosmos community, right? And then there's also sort of a different, right? It emerged from from Cosmos, it's it's Celestia, right? As a chain and as a viewpoint. They, you know, while they sort of sit somewhat in the Cosmos ecosystem, it's definitely a different approach, right? Like to use a really simple heuristic, right? If if Cosmos is an internet of blockchains, then Celestia is an internet of modular blockchains, right? Whereas Cosmos sort of, sort of, you know, advocates the full stack. Whereas Celestia has both the, you know, app chain sort of thesis, but they also advocate a modular approach. Right, right. I think as you go, I, I view the spectrum
1: as you know, Cosmos, uh, Celestia, and then Ethereum on the other side. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, on the for Celestia and Ethereum, you know, the common, the commonality between them is they are sharing some sort of, you know, uh, security or data availability solution at the very bottom of the stack. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think understanding what are the trade-offs between owning that full stack versus, you know, sharing some portion of it, right. It's, is really interesting and, and still, you know, a lot of open questions there because we frankly, you know, have not seen what these modular app specific roll-ups look like. Um, and and I, you know, I'm very excited to see what applications can be built. But, you know, I think at least exploring the trade-offs right now is
0: is the best we can do. Yeah. I think one big idea that we want to explore this season as well is where do, especially like Cosmos as an ecosystem and Ethereum as an ecosystem collide, right? Or we, we see them sort of on this course where they're starting to bump up against each other. And they're there to not put all, You know, say what I think and then you can kind of correct me, but it seems like they're trying to solve the same basic vision of scaling like crypto to billions of people. ETH is approaching from sort of the consensus data availability security layer. Cosmos is approaching from the, we need to build products people want to use type layer. There was a pretty interesting paper you actually highlighted to me about potentially implementing IBC on ETH. I think it was layer twos, right? So that they could at least do like contract calls or basically sharing some amount of data in between each other. So I'd be curious, like, I know we're going to explore where these two communities bump into each other, but like, how do you see them sort of interacting over the coming years?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, they're you're,
0: you're, you're totally right.
1: They're both coming from the same place and that you know, we want to scale, you know, decentralized applications to billions of users. Um, and I think that Ethereum's first, you know, their, their focus has been, okay, well, in order to have any value prop at all, as a decentralized application you know you need to have all the guarantees of security censorship resistance et cetera, et cetera. and I think Cosmos started at the place for okay if you want to scale this to a billion users you need to have products that people actually want to use um and I'm not to say that you know application developers on ethereum don't believe that um I think they they very much so do but I think where these two are on a collision course is is you know some of these applications on ethereum realizing okay you know we are past the bootstrapping phase um what do we need to do to really you know improve this product to to reach you know the next level of adoption um and i think that they will start you know the at least the 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 apps with the most leverage will start heading towards some sort of app specific environment um on on that side right so i think people are starting to realize that general purpose permissionless l2s like Arbitrum and optimism at the end of the day are not all that different than general purpose permissionless L1s apart from lower fees. I think the applications that, you know, really get mainstream adoption on a general purpose L2 will soon find that, you know, they, first of all, to improve the user experience, you know, to have, get even closer to the user, um, that they will want to, you know, go to their own environment. Um, So I think I think that's the collision course. I think, you know, the interoperability standards on the Ethereum side are going to be very interesting to see how they play out. Um, And I think we'll be talking to a few folks that are working on that. So very excited about that.
0: Same. Maybe to, to sort of wrap here, you know, I think one of the things that knowing that no one has a crystal ball, and this is all very difficult to predict. We're actually we're recording this actually on January 13th, Friday the 13th. Uh, but we're also sitting in the depths of a bear market here, right? So it's, it's yeah. very difficult to sort of see a through line to what Catalyst is going to take us out and what the timeline is and all that sort of stuff. But it'd be great to get sort of ideas about magnitude here, right? Like, let's yeah. say at the end of this season, having recorded six episodes, we're very bullish. We understand the benefits of the app chain thesis. We think at least some amount of market share is going to accrue to this particular architecture. Yep. Is, is this like 50% of the biggest apps eventually end up uh having their own full stack chain is it less are there specific types of apps or sectors right that are actually would benefit more from this particular architecture how do we think about some of those those sort of directional ideas yeah I think I think you have to think about your you know your own application
1: and and uh you know how important is composability for your application right as a lending protocol uh it's incredibly important you need to be sitting in you know the same environment as as a dex normally for your protocol to actually function efficiently um you know as a gaming application you might require less security right than than say a financial application like a dex or a lending protocol um and so the trade-offs around you know having maybe a smaller security budget uh and and a, you know a lower cost of attack may not actually be you know as as strong of a trade-off for you versus you know a DeFi protocol right um and so you know i think i think one thing that is a big catalyst for this is you know this the fall of all these CFI exchanges and lending you know providers um i think there's a lot of users that are looking for uh, a, an experience and a you know an, an offering that matches or is as close as possible to matching that CFI experience um while getting all the benefits of a decentralized application so that they know they cannot be rugged or at least they have the ability to check to see if they're being rugged right um and you know i think that that is one of the biggest catalysts i think for app chains is that you know the closest version you can get to you know ftx on chain is probably going to be an app chain um and so you know that that could be a catalyst but well well it's, it's a different equation for every single app and and it
0: really also depends on the stage of maturity. Yeah, I think it also depends on how core MEV is to your business model as well. We haven't really talked about the yeah. intersection of MEV. Dan Elitzer wrote a pretty good, a pretty thought provoking piece right on, he called it Unichain is inevitable. Yeah. And it was a little right. bit of a, you know, marketing forward sort of title, but he made some really good points in that a lot of, a, a lot of the economics basically that that Uniswap generates are being captured by ETH, the, the main chain and eventually right. Uniswap is going to try to take greater control in the execution layer, but they're also going to want to capture more economics. And at least my personal opinion is there's going to be a strong fee preference that gets expressed not for upfront swap fees, but for more invisible fees. And I think MEV ends up sort of representing yeah. that. So Yeah.
1: And and I and I do think it also like when speaking about mev this plays into ux as well right Mm -hmm. um if you think about uniswaps i think dan laid it out the three the three costs for for uniswap users are gas fees which or i should start with the swap fee that that Mm -hmm. one accrues to at least uniswap stakeholders uh gas fees all of that goes to you know the leaks to the l1 uh and then of course there's the mev piece which which all of that leaks to the to the l1 um the first two, you know, uh, uh, costs there, gas fees and swap fees, those are rent-seeking, you know, sorts of revenue, right? That does not mm-hmm. improve the user experience. Um, and so, I think, you know, by harnessing MEV as a business model, you can also improve the user experience by decreasing reliance on those sort of rent-seeking activities. Um, and as an app chain, you can be very opinionated about what sort of MEV you know, you will allow um, and you can be very opinionated about how that revenue is captured and how it's distributed. Um, and so, you know, I think when we talk about business models here, I, I do wanna like pull it back to the actual product itself. Um, I, think, I think we'll explore that more in, in episodes to come, but to me it's, you know, MEV for app chains is one of the most exciting and interesting,
0: you know, aspects of this conversation. Completely agree. All right, buddy. It's going to be a fascinating season. Really excited to do this with you. Um, we've got, you know, just to plug our first episode, we're going to be going live with, with Sonny and Dimitri uh, next week. So, yeah, guys, tune in. Should be a ton of fun. Um, Miles, excited to explore this with you. Yeah, I'm pumped, buddy. This will be fun.